We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. Good morning. Hi. Hello. Well, my camera is not working this week, as you can see. Your camera's never working. It worked once. I know. But it was weird. It was like that background, but, and then my eyes looked like they were, I don't know, I looked possessed, like I was some alien coming out of the the background. So weird. Um, Did anybody notice how chilly it was this morning? It was beautiful. I I loved it. I am not complaining, but... I had all my windows open yesterday. Oh, yes. I have all my windows open now, and it's only, what is it, 15 degrees? I had had my front window open where, like, it's right there. I'm pointing at it. Um, But then my neighbor decided to do his hedges this morning so 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 the entire world doesn't hear him doing his hedges uh, i had to close the window yeah uh i always say that as soon as august starts there's a shift always like within the first week of august there's a shift and that shift is happening in the more meaning that it's like it's starting out chillier and i think this week <laughs> what happened? Kim, we can't hear you. You're muted. She put her hand over her mouth and everything stopped. <laughs> that was hilarious. Not connected in any way, but oh my god, that was hilarious. Zoom and I have an understanding. <laughs> Apparently. Oh my god. But I- I did the Martian talk again. Yeah, yeah. it's like. <laughs> I that's so weird because I never hear that. I never hear it. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. okay. So okay. where were we? I don't know. My, <laughs> I was my, just saying that in the first week of August, there's always a shift. Yeah. The mornings are a little cooler, and the the daytime highs are just a couple of degrees lower. So instead of getting like 28, 29, 30, we're getting more like 24, 25, which is beautiful. Love it. Again, not complaining at all. Was it like that when we were kids? Because I remember blazing hot summers still in August when I was a kid. Like I still remember feeling like I was dying at the CNE when I was a kid. I can barely remember last week and you're wanting to remember when I was a kid? No. The temperature of your summers. (laughs) No. I actually, I don't remember uh, being super hot ever when I was a kid. I mean, I spent my early childhood in Jamaica and I don't remember being hot, but, (laughs) and, and, um, it's only now, I do remember sitting in our apartment. We had like a built-in air conditioner in the living room. And I do remember sitting there with my sister and turning it on and sort of humming into it and hearing that weird noise your, your voice makes, like when you hum into a fan. I remember that and the icy cold air coming out of the air conditioner unit, but I don't remember the apartment feeling hot and stifling. I just, I don't. Well, 16, 16 years ago, I remember laying in my bed in the, with the one air conditioning unit we had in this house being 
massively pregnant with Allie and in the middle of a heat wave wanting to shoot myself. And it was so fucking hot and we didn't have central air. We only had that one window unit and my kids and Paul being outside playing in the little kiddie pool we had. And I was inside like a beached goddamn whale with a (laughs) nine pound baby sweating my boobs off wanting to die. And it was fucking hotter than hell. And it, and it was an Olympic year. I was I laid there in bed watching the Olympics, which I'm pretty sure were in Australia at the time. And yeah, I was done. The very first time I remember feeling like I can't handle this, I also was pregnant. So that was I was with I was pregnant with Chris. I was so I was 22. I don't have any memories of being too so, so hot that I hated it before that. But I remember coming home one night. I lived at home with my parents and I came home from work one night. I had forgotten my key or something, so I couldn't get in the front door. So I walked around the back of the house. We didn't have AC. I walked around the backyard and the patio door was closed, was locked, and the the window facing the backyard was open and I remember like cupping my hands and looking through the screen to see if I could is anybody home what the hell am I locked out and feeling the heat in the house coming through the like the screen the screen window and thinking to myself I don't want to go in there (laughs) and then my dad out here yes it was nice and cool outside dark nighttime my dad came down opened the back patio door for me and the heat in the house just came pouring out, hit me in the face like a wall. And I thought, oh, this is so gross. I don't want to be, I want to sleep outside. That's what I remember feeling. And every, every single summer after that, the heat drove me insane. Wow. Until we bought a house that had AC. And I've been spoiled ever since. <sighs> I'm sorry. I, 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 I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm too too much of a princess now. I can't do it. I will recycle. I will wash my cans. I compost. I'm so vigilant about everything. I use cloth diapers. I earned (laughs) this AC because I cannot live. I cannot live these hot, hot days. No. Without it. Yeah, me too. So wherever you are, wherever you're living. We hope your temperature is lovely out yes. <laughs> now that you've had the Toronto weather for yeah. Thursday, April. This six. is like BC weather, isn't it? Like the cool mornings and evenings and then the like warm middays, but not crazy highs. Isn't that what BC is supposed to be like? Or like uh, the, the coast out there? I don't know. I always want to punch the people from BC in the face whenever they're like, look, it's February and our crocuses are coming up. Fuck off. I got eight feet of snow outside. Shut your face. <laughs> Oh that's how you really feel, Kim. <laughs> Shut your damn ass up. Well, Canada is so big that there's there's definitely you know my cousins of different systems. They don't they don't get the huge the extremes that we do, like forty degrees in the summer and then minus twenty three in the winter. They don't get that. They get um, way more snow, but they don't get those extremes in temperature. So it's it's much more um, the temperature is much more manageable there. Yeah. Nova Scotia weather. That's what I like. Yeah. Anyway, 
Wherever you live, I hope you're comfortable. True. So what are we doing today? Shall we first start this podcast with a land acknowledgement? Oh, are you going to do it with an accent? No. With an accent there. That feels disrespectful. No, that's not, I'm not going to do it with it. What accent could I possibly, I could do a Jamaican accent, but that, no, no, not doing that. You started there with some sort of a nasally tone. Oh, that was just my CBC English. Oh, that's right. That's hello, right. hello. That's just the All right. This is a land acknowledgement for the city of Toronto, which is the land upon which we are podcasting today. Um, we are on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis peoples. This city also acknowledges that Toronto was covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaties, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so what is our topic today? Oh, so what would you do, isn't it? It's like, I think our, our topic was born out of a conversation that I had with a midwife friend of mine um, a, a concerning the giving of clinical advice and or clinical opinion to, to our clients and, you know, why that's a bad thing, how to navigate, how to tell the difference and how to step carefully around all of that because there's so much nuance and so much subtlety and so much opportunity to put your foot in your mouth and get in trouble uh, that doulas are urged, it's really wise for you to kind of practice this and know what to say and when to say it. Yeah. So that's what I, I, I kind of came up with this because of that conversation that I had with, with her. I called my, that midwife friend to ask her a question about something that one of my clients was asking me about. And um, not with the intent to go back and say, oh, my midwife friend said that this, this, and, and this. I just wanted to know from my own personal, you know, I, I would never give the person information or advice, but I want to know. I think that it's good for us to know information. Or am I wrong? Is it possible to have this wealth of information? Because I remember you said, Kim, that's one of the reasons why you don't dive so deep into clinical stuff because you don't want to know because you don't want to be able to say, yes. oh, well, here's this or that. And that might be construed as clinical in in um, advice. Yeah. Like it, like I talk to you guys and, and I'm always asking you questions that I think in theory I should probably know, but I ask you guys, you know, well, what's, you know, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Stephanie, for sure. She's like, an oh, vomits yeah. out all this great information about stuff. And I'm going, oh, should I have no idea about that? But as I said, like I've kind of, there's a few things I've learned as I've gone through being a doula. So one person told me once, that, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's, it follows along that same lines. One person, one doula told me once that they don't, they don't find out the names of caregivers that they work with so that if they are bad caregivers, 
they won't have a preconceived, preconceived notion no. about them moving forward. Annie. Yeah, that was Annie, actually. Yeah, I love so, that. And, and I kind of went along that same lines, too, is that because I thought, yeah, like I don't, I'm, I have zero poker face. Like I, I have zero poker face and zero, <laughs> zero poker voice. So it's like, you know, oh, I'm working with Dr. So-and-so and you go, really? You know, and that, yeah. <laughs> and that little inflection, Man, that, perfect. that little inflection at the oh, end. Dr. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I try to, I, now granted, I've had a bit of a shift actually now since working at the hospital that we work at because I, I want them to, I almost want them to know us so that we can have a better working relationship for the classes and things like that. Um, but that's beside the point. But along those same lines, I've done this really with medical stuff. Like I'm not, I will read studies to find out about, the way things are being done and the way um, sort of how birth, the procedures and whatnot evolve and things like that. Like I want to know those things because as a doula, I feel like one of my responsibilities is to prepare people moving forward about what, how may th how things may unfold. So, but from that, like I don't read medical journals. I don't go into the deep depths of, you know, certain conditions and things like that because I don't want to be the one to go, oh, well, you know, I can do blah, blah, blah. And you see it on Facebook all the time that people will ask a question, doulas will ask a question, and then 8 million things come out. And yep. there's like literally 60 to 70% of them are going to be, well, when I was pregnant, blah, 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 blah. So they're not even themselves using medical stuff. They are doing what we accuse OBs of doing and yeah. practicing with experience as opposed to evidence. Yeah. Or anecdotal, anecdotal yeah. evidence. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I, I prefer to remain almost blissfully ignorant because I want to be able to say, you know what? I don't really know. I want you to ask your doctor that question. And mm -hmm. that's a great response to anything. Like if it is just so often the easiest path is ask your doctor. Absolutely. Like we, were gonna, we were, or ask your midwife or if uh, so often, well, I wouldn't say often some of the time what, experience I've had with some of my clients, particularly, I wouldn't even say during pregnancy so much. It's more those first six weeks afterwards. There's a question will come up, like one that uh, we discussed the other day about postpartum bleeding. And the reason they're asking me is because they have actually attempted to get in touch with their care provider. Um, and they've gotten no callback, which is not, un which not, not uncommon considering just the sheer level of it, particularly with obstetrics, the sheer level of of patients that they have at any one given time. It, that's why you're like booking an appointment two weeks, three weeks ahead of time because just to get in to talk to them, they're not getting the callback. So then the alternative, when someone says, I have called my doctor, it's been two days and no parent wants to go into the ER with a, with a newborn baby. 
but they want to get an answer before they know whether that's the next step. Often that, that means calling telehealth, but um, often I'll, I'll also just have them contact a local walk-in. So if you can't get in touch with your doctor, but you feel like you need to be seen today, call a local walk-in. Right now they're booking people instead of um, you having to line up outside the door or even they don't even want you sitting in waiting rooms, I don't think, right now, even with masks and stuff on. So it's, it, sometimes they'll, they'll come back with, I've already tried getting in touch with my doctor. So what's the next step? Um, again, you can direct them to information, but they're reaching out to you because they want to talk to somebody. They don't want to read more information. They need to talk to somebody who actually has the, has the information to help them. And I, and I appreciate that as a doula, I would rather they call me than fucking Google shit. Like that's, I want you to contact me. And then I can say, yeah, you know what, what's happening to you? You need to go to emergency right now. Yeah. Or you need to call your family doctor and get an appointment with them. Explain to the nurse what's happening. Like I, if they're looking are they looking for validation that this is something to be concerned about or are yep. they looking to say, yeah. you know, Oh, it's fine. Right. Both, both of yeah. them. They're looking for that. And this is the, this is the sort of other fine line. I, I have a feeling that clients, my clients call me so that they can use me as a sounding board as somebody who has more experience and, and has a bigger knowledge base than they do about whether or not this is something that warrants concern. Yes. Is this something that warrants a call to the doctor, a trip to the ER, a trip to the walk-in? Do I have information or resources about how they can go about doing that? Or is this something that they shouldn't be concerned about and I've got some tips to help them deal with it without going, without escalating it? I think that that is and what that's where the issue comes in though. That's exactly right. Is those tips that you're giving, you know, to, so here's an example. So I had a client once I was driving to York central at the time yeah. I was on my way to teach a class at York central and the client called me in the car. I was hands-free. Don't put your thumbs away. And the, she called and said that she had a fever. Her baby was, three days old, I think at this point. So they were home. She had a fever. Um, and what should she do? And I said, well, you need to call your doctor. Like that's a fever is not normal. And that could be an infection. So she said, well, I don't really want to go to emergency. And I go, well, I think you should at least call your doctor or call telehealth. Mm -hmm. So she hung up and she called me back and she said, they told me to go to emergency, but I really don't want to go. And I go, okay, well, I would suggest that you probably do. She goes, the fever's up to 106. What? How, How, are, you even? How are you? 100 and what? 106. How are you even speaking to me? I said to her, you need to get in that car right now and go to emergency right now. And she said, well, what about the baby? I can take the baby with you. Take your husband with you. Everybody goes. A question. Yeah. You got to go to the hospital. 106 anybody with 106 fever needs to go to you're you're a grown person and you have a fever of 106 i almost dropped dead when she told me that and i think the thing was is that i wonder sometimes if i if it had been a different doula if the doula would have said you know before knowing the 106 in the first call 
would have said, well, you know, go have a nice cool bath, take some Tylenol, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like oh, the postpartum yeah. fever. Wow. Exactly. No, yeah. Never. But you never. get these no fever. You get yeah. these newer doulas that, and I'm not knocking newer doulas, but I wonder sometimes, like you get these newer doulas, are they learning the fact that you are not clinical? And yeah. if you're getting into being a doula to be clinical, you need to not. You yeah. need, you you're need sidestepping. <laughs> you're sidestepping. Just become a fucking midwife. If that's yeah. what you want to do, just do that. Yeah. But that's yeah. not what doulas do. And when yeah. you do that, you're messing it up for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And so there's a certain amount of knowledge that is necessary. The knowledge that any fever postpartum is abnormal and needs to be seen immediately. Mm -hmm. We need to have that information. But we do not need to we don't so if you want to have more information that that's great go ahead and have all the information you want but the the in the the response to that person needs to be any fever postpartum is not normal you need to be seen you need to be seen immediately and the rest is up to them you need to be seen immediately oh well and, and I, to cover your ass yeah. you need to say first go to your doctor yes what did yeah. your doctor say? Mm -hmm. Get in the car, go to emergency. Well, that's why I, I, I think, doesn't it cover everybody's ass by saying you need to be seen immediately? Whether that means call your doctor, go to a walk-in, go to emerge. That's, not, that's their decision to make that. You need yeah. to be seen right away. Yeah. Because that's not okay. But, I mean, that's kind of an obvious one. Like, that was an clear. obvious one. That's really clear. But how about if your client calls you up and says to you, Hi, hi, best doula in the world. Um, I, you know, what if, you know, your client is. Oh, they were calling me? Yeah, they're calling you. Uh, 38 weeks and, or 38, 39 weeks. And, um, and they just had an ultrasound because they were measuring large for dates. This exact thing happened to me. And now they're suggesting that I be induced and I just will not be induced because this is going to uh, jeopardize all my plans for my, like my, my unmedicated birth that I was planning and all of that. I, I, I just, I think everything's fine. This baby's probably is bigger because my husband is six, four. So, I mean, what do they expect? And I don't like, what do you think about this whole suggestion to be induced because, you know, I'm measuring large for days. And, and maybe I have too much, a little bit more than usual amniotic fluid. Tell me, you know, like, what should I do? I'm so upset. So, I mean, I would, I would have actually suggested, you know, did you talk to your doctor about the benefits and risks of not doing the induction? Did you ask them questions about why this was important? Mm -hmm. Like, I think sometimes, and I know I do this. I mean, you come out of a doctor with this massive amount of information in your head um, that you couldn't form questions because you couldn't process what was actually happening to you because it was against what you wanted to do in the first place. And then suddenly you're at home and you're like, do I Google this or do I call my doula? But I think the important thing is to send them back and say, 
and I could be completely wrong about this, but is to send them back and say, you know, you need to talk to your doctor about, about what the benefits and risks are. And when you have that information, then you get to decide, I can't make that decision for you. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and how do you feel about all that? I would lead with that bit. I would lead with yeah. that. With how do you actually feel about that? Well, Sounds I mean, like clearly she's already, she's already, she's already said. I mean, she said she doesn't feel great about it because she didn't want to, because it was going to ruin all her plans. Yeah. So maybe not leave with how do you feel about that? Because she did state how she felt about that. But I would, I mean, I would lead with a discussion about how she's feeling. Oh my gosh, you're beautiful. All your beautiful plans. They, it seems like they're in jeopardy now, doesn't it? Uh Uh-huh. That's, that's rough. That's really distressing. And yeah, like that kind of thing. Commiserating, validating, reflecting, yeah. blah, and blah, And reminding blah. too that, yeah, you know what? I mean, sometimes sometimes birth has to take a different route to get to the same yeah. place. And that doesn't mean that we can't, if your doctor is recommending this, and because we're non-medical, we don't know, every, we're not going to read the scans or anything like that. Because we're non-medical, you know, okay, well, if that's the way this is going, then we're going to pivot. (laughs) That's the word of 2020 is pivot. And we're going to come up with a different game plan for you. And we're going to help walk you through this. And there's not, it's going to be a more difficult journey. Yes. But that isn't to say that it has to be completely overly utter, like massively lost lost, uh, your unmedicated birth but we're just going to roll with it and see what happens because that's what we have to do in birth, right? We have to roll with it because I think going, I've always said, and I always tell my clients, going in with this hard and fast plan, that's not the way to go because what's going to happen is as soon as you do that, everything's going out the window. So we have to go in with maybe a couple of different game plans and a, and a wait and see and a, and a roll with the punches kind of thing. But that's the doula that I am. And those are the clients that I sort of get, attract. attract. So, I mean, I get the clients that are going to be more go with the flow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get clients who think I know everything. (laughs) Oh, I've had those too. And I have to tell them right from the beginning, yeah, I don't know everything. And I'm learning. I learn things all the time, especially at births. I yes. learn things all the time and I will utilize that information in helping to teach about what could possibly happen. But when I am asked for my advice, oh, how many times have you been asked for your opinion? When I am asked for that, I'm like, mm, I, it's not, I can't give you that. I will not give clinical opinions, but I'll give my no. opinion, my personal opinion with lots of lots of uh qualifiers and disclaimers that say this is just my opinion this mm-hmm. is my experience that's it it does not mean that it will be your experience it doesn't mean that it is the only experience for everybody etc cetera, etc cetera. i even do a speech like that at the beginning of my class so my thing is is oops, i've heard somebody say oh your doula should be just like your like your really good girlfriend mm-hmm maybe had a lot more babies than you have and that's it at the same time i kind of also feel though that one of the reasons why people seek out doulas and i this is what i mean when people when i say i attract people who think i know everything 
especially the older you get and the more experience you have under your belt, people appreciate that and they because want you. You've seen it all. Oh, that's what that's they what always say that. Well, because you've seen it all, yeah. we'd like to have you and in you've, our corner. You've seen so much. Yeah. I think that people hire doulas, not just because they're warm and supportive and nurturing and empathetic and all of that, but because we know more stuff yeah. than we do. Like that is an actual part of our appeal. So otherwise, why wouldn't they just go to their mom? Yeah. Or their well, sister or, or their best friend. Because we're not, cause there we're not going to be over there in the corner wringing our hands. Falling apart because our babies are in pain. So that's one part of it. But also the other piece of it is because of our knowledge base. So no, we do not have the knowledge base of uh, obstetrician or a midwife, nor do we need to, but we certainly have a bigger knowledge base, a broader knowledge base than our clients. Of what's normal and what's are. not. By the, in the most part, we do. Um, and I think that that's important, not so that we can give clinical advice, but so that we can, we can understand when somebody is, is talking to us about their, their experience in this situation. I know how the process of induction goes, and they're saying to me, oh my God, and then they said that they're gonna do this, and then they said they're, they're gonna do that, and I happen to know that that is the way it goes, then I can say to my client, that's sort of standard procedure. That is the way that they do things. So yes, at some point you might have to get Pitocin. That's, that is the way that it goes. If one of your, if your client thought that as soon as they put the uh, Foley catheter in, they were going to go into full blown labor. And now they're like so upset because what's all of this stuff that's going on? Why else do, why do they want to do this and this and this? because the process of induction works like that, blah, 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 blah. Yes. And your mom doesn't know that, and your sister's not gonna know that. They're gonna be feeding into your anxiety by saying, yeah, that's right, why are they talking about that? They already did this, so yeah, I don't understand too. Why, should, why shouldn't we just, why, we need to go find out, and you, they're gonna feed into your fear. Whereas the doula can say, that's yeah, that's normal, that, that's, that's what happens. How it works. Yes, that's how it works. I think and when you get some of these reach throughs too, like when they reach out to you because they're ex they're expressing concerns about one thing. Often, I think in the work we do, we can often see past what they're saying to find out what they actually want to hear or what they want to pursue, like what the feeling is around it, which often is a fear of the unknown, right? It's like, okay, well, let's get that known. Um, here's, are you looking for something to read? Are you unsure what questions you should um, ask because I yeah. think that's a big one too is they literally don't know what questions to ask or sometimes they don't yes. feel like they need permission to ask their doctor questions I'm like if yeah. you know this person's in your corner looking out for your best interests then you know take that question back to your midwife take that question back to your doctor when you book that appointment ask them to book in an extra five minutes because you have a list of things you need to alleviate your stress um and you're, you're worthy of alleviating that stress. You're worthy of asking for that extra five minutes on your appointment to sit and get these answered so you can feel better about the next steps. Um, and I, I always feel too that, you know, what a doula or what I do as a doula is that <clears throat> they tell me all these things that their doctor said. And then I take all those things that their doctor said. And I, I hate this term, but I kind of dumb it down. So I put it into more plain language and then help explain 
why it, like what is going to happen and 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 to give them a better knowledge give themselves a better better knowledge as to what's happening but i'm not giving clinical advice I'm not giving clinical opinions and i'm not assessing anything or anything like that but just to say yeah like as you say in an induction this is what will happen and this step happens because xyz and then if that works then we're going to go to this next step and this is what happens in that step and and so on and so on so that when they go in they can have that knowledge of oh, okay, we're doing that. Okay, so yeah, she said that that was going to happen. Okay, so yeah, that's good. Because when we go into situations where we're going into the unknown, that's the scariest part. When all this stuff is happening to you, and, and I'm not saying that obstetricians and nurses and whatnot are doing this badly, but they have a tendency, because they've done it so many times before, they just kind of go through it. And they don't really have, they don't have the time, or they also maybe don't have the, the idea that what's happening to this person is the very first time it's ever happened to them. And they need that extra bit of information to make it better for them. And I think that's what's being missed when we talk about, you know, med students and whatnot being taught is after they've done it a hundred times, they just fucking do it. And the, the, patient is sitting there going like, okay, but why are you doing that? Because we're not talking about something that's happening to them per se. It's happening to their baby. And that makes the emotions of the whole situation 10 times worse, especially if it's taken them a long time to get to that point. So the doula is there to help bridge that gap between and, and, and make sure that there is that sort of, so how do you feel about this? And how can I make this better for you? And, and I'm going to be there with you and I'm at your back. And if you have questions, I'm going to help you to form those questions. And I'm going to help you, you know, push you towards asking those questions. And that's what we need. That's what a doula does. A doula doesn't answer the questions. A doula helps you form those questions and ask them. And in order to quote unquote dumb things down, you have to actually have to know, you have to know the process. So I have to understand the technicalities of a procedure before I can explain it in simple terms and plain language to somebody else. I have to actually understand it myself. And that works. And that really, I think, is part of a doula's job. But where doulas are overstepping is, is they're going maybe a few more steps further and now having opinions as to why these procedures are happening. And that really isn't our call. Or, or um, giving uh, clinical opinions about whether something is good or something or is necessary. Bad or necessary, yes. That's, that's the issue. Be, uh, the person who I had a conversation with with doulas, because that is what so many doulas are doing. They're diagnosing. Yes. They're suggesting treatments. They're giving their opinions about what should be done or should not be done. Um, and a lot of those things are in contradiction to what the caregiver is advising the patient to do. And that's a problem. That's yeah. a big, big problem. So I acknowledge that there is a huge, huge, that that's a huge problem and that there are many rogue doulas out there who are doing that. My issue comes in the gray area. That's what I, th and I think most of us 
understand everything that we've just said, that you're not a clinician and so you don't offer clin clinical information and, and advice. Uh, I think most of us have that intention, but I think a lot of us lack practice with like we immediately want to share our knowledge with our clients. We want to, and listen, a little bit of ego in there too. Don't, you know, come on, let's face up to it. A little bit of ego. You want to appear like the one who knows a lot. You want to appear like you are, you know, sort of like a savior. You want to, you want to be, we're proud of being the first go-to, right? I want my client to call me first to check stuff out with me. Like these are feelings that we all have, I'm saying. And, and all of that sort of lives in that, that contributes to our muddling around in that gray area, not knowing where to step and how to step. And it takes practice. It really, really does. Yeah. It does take the practice to step out. Cause I literally say to my clients, if something comes, becomes a concern for you, I don't want you to hunt Google. I understand that it's, you don't want to necessarily reach out to your physician or your midwife. So if you are looking for information on something, come to me, I'll give you the link to the good information. I don't want you going down a rabbit hole of someone's blog. You know what I mean? And so being able to literally directly send them to the SOGC handout on this or the AOM handout on this, it's like, you can go read that. You can read, you can read the full breakdown. You can read the Coles notes version of it. Um, and like, you just go straight to the good information. Cause they often have like a one that's available to clients. Like what I, what I mean is like a, like a handout, like a poster about what it might be. So yeah. if I get somebody who calls me and says, Oh my goodness, I, I, I tested positive for GBS and like there's a huge anxiety rush. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that feels really overwhelming for you right now. Um, and you probably, someone has, they've already been on there and say, do you know that GBS increases your chance of doing this or your baby dying and all of this stuff? I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus, you are sounding so distressed right now. You need to step away from any more reading. And when you're ready, here's some, I know it's overwhelming, but here's some information to give you some scope. And if you're feeling really, really overwhelmed with this, here's a, here's literally a, a line you can call in relation to pregnancy related depression, anxiety because it can trigger into something bigger. I never want anyone to, you know, have to just sit with those feelings either. Sometimes no, no, of course not. Directing them towards managing their anxiety. And sometimes you're directing them towards information to bring it all into, to normalize it. And that's Much the like induction or anything else. That's the difference right there. You're offering evidence-based information based on the SOGC or the AOM, so the obstetricians and the, and the gynecologists and the midwives, their actual stuff. You're giving them that information. You're not taking that information and then giving it a valued opinion or offering value-laden advice on what to do. That's the difference. Do, and I think that's where doulas are messing up. They're not just giving the evidence-based information in a form that is readable by the client to interpret themselves. They're taking that information, interpreting it, it, and then offering it up as, a, as clinical advice or opinion. Yeah. And that's the wrong, that's the opposite. That's what we shouldn't be doing. 
that interpretation is the key. It, they're not off that's offering information or offering resources for information is fine as far as I'm concerned, but interpreting the information and then regurgitating it back according to your own personal biases, that's the problem. Yep. So not only is it wrong because of your personal bias, but it's wrong because it's a clinical, it's clinical information and you yep. shouldn't be interpreting that for these people at all. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Um, I just read something that said that the, the British Columbia Supreme Court just came down with a decision that says that only birth midwives registered with the College of Midwives may use the word, may use the word midwife. Just a little thing. Somebody just texted me. Because people other, apparently in other provinces, midwifery is legislated differently in every province in the country. And so there may be like lay midwives or oh, right, uh, yeah. like that who are practicing in a different way. And so they have tightened that definition that you need to be registered with the College of Midwives in order to call yourself a midwife. And we I have no such college of doulas. And I maybe. suspect that when, if doulas are being seen as giving clinical advice and opinions, they are going to have that thrown in their face and then potentially that's going to yeah. go wrong. Yeah. That you could be charged now as practicing midwifery. Yes. Without, yeah. Without, without being a registered midwife. Absolutely. Practicing medicine without a license. It's an actual crime. Yes. Uh, and it's already happened, hasn't it? I'm yeah, sure. it has. It has. <laughs> though, though, though she was... She was really, I mean, she was doing vaginal exams and everything. Like, that was just right. crazy. She was, up, she was way out there. She was elbow deep in it. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely got the feeling from that from that case that, you know, that you kind of read between the lines there. I, I kind of got the feeling from that case that that was somebody who had entered into a doula contract in a contractual way, but that there was an understanding between the family and the the doula who is acting as a traditional midwife that they that that's what was actually happening that the the family agreed that that was what should happen yeah I, but you but that's still not okay you, you can't yeah, no, that's, that's you're right it's still, still against the okay. law it's you it's, can't make a contract for something that's illegal i remember yeah, that yeah. from grade 12 law that's very important so but again i felt like there was like a lot not being said when that was going down. I, I had but the I had the same feeling. Yeah, like she there's they specifically had a doula contract, which is the part that upsets me because then it kind of throws All it of pulls us. us into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it like it, it 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 potentially could have fucked us up in Canada royally, and it still potentially could. So this is why doulas, particularly in Canada, need to be very, very careful about what they're doing, because again, we're, we are unregulated. We don't have a college to protect us. Um, but where does that stand now for, um, and this is what really scares me, is doulas attending unassisted births. In intentional unassisted births. So an unintentional unassisted birth is completely different. Like there was there was potentially a midwife on their way. They were potentially on their way to the, the hospital anyways. There was already a doctor or a midwife involved. But when a doula attends an, un, an, in, an intentional unassisted birth, 
how do you not, and like, well, I'm just there for comfort, but what do you do when you have this knowledge in you and they're looking at you saying, what do we do? Uh, and, the, or, and or something goes wrong. Yeah, and something goes wrong. Yep. Well, under and you, our- and you, and you attempt to fix it. Yes, that's no, no. That's now you're no. practicing midwifery. Yeah. And it's against the law. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I, I've learned this um, in Canada and specifically the, what is that? Uh, what is that law? Um, the Good what, Samaritan law? The Good Samaritan law does not protect you in this. Yeah. No. It doesn't. Because you're not you a Samaritan. Yourself. You, you're not a bystander. You didn't, yeah, you didn't. You yeah. didn't happen upon them, you know, walking down the street, you yeah. know, or they're giving birth in the in the subway. You were there. You put yourself into that situation, so you're not a good Samaritan. Yeah, you're 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 a doula with a with a super super person cape. Yeah, a, a super ego thinking that you're going to be in there and be the 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 goddess of of. God, goddess of birth protection or, or something like that. And as you say, they say, well, I wrote up a contract that will protect me. Well, you know what? Your doula contract means shit. Yeah, Your doula you contract is, a, is an agreement between you and the, and the family. And the law is going to look at that piece of eight and a half by 11 staples <laughs> paper and go, meh, too bad. Don't care. You're being charged. I'm sorry. There is no doula who has been trained there's a doula who's been trained by I'm and I'm going to go way on a limb and say like pretty much any training organization, you know, that that attending intentionally attending an unassisted birth is, is not cool. That that is outside oh. of school practice. Well, my you, training organization is like, that. you do not <laughs> like, no. it's written. And so, so to say for a, for any doula to say, well, I didn't know that that doesn't, I didn't know that the contract was illegal. I didn't know that attending in this, in this format was illegal. Ignorance of the law is not a defense. Well, that's another thing too. You can't make a contract for something illegal and ignorance of the law is no excuse. So you're screwed in. Let me tell you, there are a lot of ways to be screwed. And, you <laughs> and, if, and if they want to make an example of you, they want to make an example of you. You're fucked. And the rest of us are fucked too. Yep. Thanks for fucking it up for everybody else. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't even have to go that far where somebody gets sued or sent to jail. All it takes is enough incident, enough small incidents in the hospital for uh, OBs or midwives to observe things that are happening, things that doulas are doing, th or overhear things that doulas are saying, or to have clients say things to, well, my doula said X, Y, and Z, to the midwife or to the doctor for them to say, you know what, this is bullshit. We don't, I think there are hospitals in the States that do not allow doulas in there. I read that somewhere. That's not surprising. And uh, yeah, is because of rogue doulas who've gone in there and screwed it up for, uh, screwed it up for everybody. So you don't just represent yourself when you walk into a hospital to attend a birth. You do reflect the profession as a whole. And because we are unregulated, there is so much uh, suspicion and mistrust, and um, you know they feel that we're incompetent or that we, or, and there is no reason for that unless we we're stepping outside of our boundaries because 
if I'm operating within my scope as a doula and I'm doing an excellent job of that, then the impression that the nurses and the doctors and the midwives at the hospital is going to get is that I'm an excellent doula and that my work adds value to their work and complements their work, which is what we want. And so it behooves everybody to understand what their scope of practice is. Know your limit. Play within it, people. That just keeps coming up, doesn't it? It keeps coming up. It's so apt that that saying works so well in many situations. <laughs> mm. So have you ever been in a situation, Steph, where you feel like maybe you, you know, muddied the waters a little bit, like that, that you, you were a little bit unsure of something not, that you said or did? Not lately. A while ago I did. Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually also why I have a tendency to, when a, when a friend comes to me looking for doula support, mm -hmm. um, I have a tendency to pass them along to somebody else because um, my heart gets pulled into it. And, like, mm -hmm. and sometimes I, like I was literally sitting there with a, a friend who was planning a VBAC. Um, completely, she's completely technologically supportive of like, all all things medical they they give her comfort yeah um and some information came up i, I don't even remember what it was it was some it was basically just a blatant lie and i think and i had said you know i don't think that that was necessarily communicated to you with a full with 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 full information and it was mm -hmm. risks about something and i said here and i said you know here's some information for you to read up on because I, but at this point, I'd already given my opinion that that that's just not across the board true for everybody, particularly with um, with a VBAC. And oh, that's what it was. Uh, what her doctor had shared with her is that there is no more risk to induction with a VBAC than there is to somebody who's never had a baby before. And I was like, mm, that's a very broad statement, and it's yeah. just not true um, yeah. for anybody there's risk but there are more risks for somebody who's had a, a VBAC not so many risks that it shouldn't be on the table as an option should your baby need to come or should you choose that it's time for your baby to come but it's just not true and that actually bit me back in the ass because her doctor called me um, and, oh, shit. and so knowing I was her friend and knowing I was her doula and uh, I called back, I ended up getting their receptionist and they didn't call me back again, but I did call back and I just, they left a message and I, I said, I understand that there was some concern with the information that I shared with you uh, or with my, my client slash friend. Um, I want to let you know that the information I shared was directly from your SOGC website. And I, I did, actually I did this with a, a client client too, a little while ago. Same thing, same paper actually about induction, but, um, risks of induction, like this, uh, risks of remaining pregnant. Um, it was like management of labor at whatever it was. And they asked for information, so I gave it to them. And the doctor was all up in arms that I gave him the information. I'm like, it's your information. It's, it's your handout. It's information you should be giving them. Yeah, because both of these people, my friend and the client, um, separately had come back from those appointments without that information. And all I did was give them the information. Mm -hmm. But it yes. created a storm and, and I, in that message that was left for me, it was, it was that I was practicing medicine. I shouldn't be um, spreading fear. I'm like, I'm actually, I'm trying to take fear away because here are the options available to you. And so if a woman has the information, she's perfectly capable of saying, 
okay, I do understand this. I don't understand that. It starts a conversation so she doesn't have to feel fear. She can just help understand the choices that are in front of her. We're not children. We're birthing right. people. Well, and Any I mean, birthing this... person can have information about their health, about the options, about even the policy at the hospital. You know, I understand that that is what's on our the SOGC website. The policies at our hospital are a little bit different, or we're short on, um, we're short on oxytocin. We're or since our pitocin, we are short on, you know, these and the other softening gels. Start the fucking conversation. You know, uh, I, why, why do doctors think that? you know, patients having information is a bad thing or is going to lead to, you know, bad results. Why do they feel like, like I love, I love the doctors that I currently have or that I've currently been working with through myself and my uncle and my mom. Because when we ask these questions and I, and I go to these appointments and I doula the elderlies and I say, okay, well, but why does that, it's okay to ask why. Like, why does that happen this way? Like, be a two-year-old. Why, why, why? Like, because the more information that I have, the better I can feel about the procedure that you are suggesting, okay? Because I just The more informed your decisions will be, the better you're in, and the more informed your decisions are, the better your decisions will be. And the better you will feel about the birth itself, especially yeah. if it didn't go as you had originally intended, yeah. and that your recovery, both physically and emotionally, will be better. So if you can have that information and you can make those decisions for yourself, and I tell this to my classes all the time, you need to ask those questions and it's okay to ask those questions. Your doctors are there, your nurses are there, the midwives are there to answer those questions for you. And it's okay to mm-hmm. ask those questions. And if you need other information, then there's doulas here that will give you the resources to help form more questions if needed. We're not practicing midwif. We're not practicing medicine by offering these resources that are fucking right there. Yeah. If somebody just did a Google search, but I would rather they get the better information. I'll do the Google searching and give you the good information from their stuff, and yeah. then we'll take it from there. And I mean, the other piece of it is that let's be clear: there are caregivers out there who who they also have an ego too. So we're talking about doula ego, which is a reality, but we're all human beings and everybody's got an ego. And there are certain professions that have bigger egos that, and being an obstetrician is, is one of the, the most deifying things I can think of. You get that medical degree. It's like putting like a friggin' crown, halo crown on your, on your head. And like that one, like that one fucking resident. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't even like a hired staff doctor yet, and already no, he was a goddamn like, resident with an ego the exactly. size of Texas on his shoulders. So everyone, so it is true, and the reality is that there are physicians and midwives who have who who practice with a big ego right in front of them all the time, make recommendations and suggestions to their patients and to their clients that some of it is opinion and their own conjecture, not necessarily evidence and and policy and practice. I've had so many situations where my clients have gone to their pediatrician or gone to their baby doctor and the baby doctor gives them advice and opinion that to me are things that are parenting related. 
It's, they're not clinical, they're not medical, it's this doctor, this is the way that this doctor feels that you should raise your baby and deal with your newborn, and they make it, they couch it, so that it seems as if it is medical advice coming from this MD. And when I say, mm, well, I disagree with that, I think you can safely sleep with your baby, or here's some ways for you to do that, then that could be considered clinical advice, but it's not. It's not. And then we run into the whole business about breastfeeding. Yes. So this is what I was talking to my, my midwife friend about. What about breastfeeding? I'm here helping somebody with latching and position and all of that stuff, right? Everything's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's good. Baby's drinking. Everything's fine. And then four days later, she says, I have, a, I have this hot, warm spot in my breast. I think it's plugged up. What should I do? So is is breastfeeding, is breastfeeding exempt from this? And if she, and then if she goes to the doc, and I say, well, that sounds like it's really heading towards a breast infection. You need to go to the doctor. Is that not clinical advice and information? So breastfeeding to me feels very, very, very cloudy because is breastfeeding not, is lactation not a physiological process? Do we not have um, clinical care providers, lactation consultants, who deal with this and do we only send people to lactation consultants for a little bit of engorgement? I mean, yeah, it, it, that, so I'm sure actually, so, you know, your midwifery friend was, you know, very concerned about offering clinical opinion and clinical advice. And we know, I'm sure lactation consultants have issues with doulas who are stepping into that sort of vein as well. And vice versa. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm working with a client right now and they are, they were having issues with breastfeeding and they went to their doctor and baby was dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So I had only spoken to them once on the day that they were going to the doctor and I had said, well, she goes, well, I can see swallowing, like I can see and the, and the latch doesn't hurt. And this was all over the phone. So I never saw anything. And, and I said, okay, so what's baby's output like? And she said, and this was day three, she said, well, he's had one pee. And I'm like, okay, well, we need, you're going to the doctors, right? Okay, so you make sure that you tell them about that. Now, as a result, they were readmitted. So, which was excellent because baby was clearly dehydrated and and stuff wasn't happening. So shoot ahead a few days later, um, a week maybe, and they call and say that they've been to the doctors, baby is back to their birth weight. They had been supplementing with not a lot of formula, but with formula. And now they had one more week to determine if things were working. And the doctor, and then this baby was eight pound eight and a half pounds or more so a big baby and she's not a big person and the doctor said to feed baby um every two hours but she was finding this exhausting i'm like for an eight and a half pound baby every two hours and baby isn't actually wanting to be on the breast at the two hour mark i'm like yeah I want, and probably the wrong thing to do. I said, you know, for a baby that size, she, and she said, well, he, if we let him go at night and he wakes up at the three hour mark and I go, well, that seems reasonable. 
like to me, an eight and a half pound baby who's now drinking well and the doctor is, is comfortable with where baby is at this point, why would we wake up an eight and a half pound baby every two hours to feed if at the two hour mark, they're really not even interested in feeding and the, and the feedings aren't productive. And if they're counting from beginning to beginning. Yeah. So I said lasting 40 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I guess the doctor had also said to do 15 minutes on one side and 15 minutes on the other side. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm not sure. And, and I had to keep saying, you know, I'm not disagreeing with your doctor. I think, you know, they're very cautious and I think this is, you know, this is a good plan. I said, but maybe we see how every three hours goes. And if you're still getting the output and you're still comfortable with that and baby's drinking well at the breast, I mm-hmm. think that's probably not an unreasonable thing to do. And that probably wasn't the right thing to do because normally I would, I would really go with what the doctor was saying, but this seemed very unreasonable and very that, that exhausting happens, to her. But that happens all the time. We all know pediatricians get very little uh, lactation training in medical school. And this doctor was very supportive of breastfeeding. Like, yes, they, even though they're very supportive, but they don't have the training. So they're giving in information. We all have been with clients who have been told to supplement, 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 supplement. And then you, and that supplementation is sabotaging breastfeeding efforts. And we know that continued supplementation is going to continue to sabotage. And there's no plan in place for weaning off of the formula, weaning off of the nipple shield, yeah. weaning off of whatever. And we know, and I have the information, is that clinical information? Is lactation exempt from all of this? Because me telling somebody how to help relieve a plug duct sounds clinical to me because a plug duct is something that's actually happening inside your body. But yet, that's... Where does that fall in that gray area? Is that closer to that line or is it closer to this line over here? Yes. And do you want to call your doctor every time? Yeah, like your nipple's a little bit sore and all you need is a little adjustment with uh, the baby's position and the baby's latch. And is your pediatrician the best person to go to for that? Exactly. You've had five babies and help, you know, done it. I mean, like, I don't know, is where breastfeeding fits in there. I brought that up with my, with my friend and we both didn't really have an answer because is I still, trigger, like if, if, if you hit the fever, is that where you have to pull the trigger? Yeah. Yeah. That's clear. That's that, really yeah. for me. That there is a world that exists before fever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a world that exists for me. That's my gray area. If it before the fever and before again, yeah. Like sometimes just seeing it, it's like motherfucker. Yeah. You got to go to the doctor. You're, you're going to be hitting a fever and like within half a day with what's happening with that plum sitting on the side of your boobs. Um, so you got to go, uh, you know, <laughs> you just got to go. Um, and in the meantime, here are some things to alleviate that discomfort. You know what I mean? Which might actually help before you actually get to your doctor. But well, well, that's engorgement, like, you know, like engorgement, where everything that's, uh, is all clinical advice. Yeah. Like, and, and I have, I, I don't even, I can count probably on one hand, how many people I really had to say, you need to go to the doctor because you are you might need antibiotics or you have a fever. I can count on one hand compared to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mothers that I've sat with to help with a latch, with engorgement, with a little plug duct, with, you know, talking to them about supplementation or 
whatever. And what I heard from when we took our lactation education, educator training that day, Cam, and um, the person that was teaching the, the class is a lactation consultant. And what we were told over and over is we can't diagnose tongue, tongue ties. We can't diagnose things no. like a tongue tie and anything. We can't diagnose. Okay, that's easy. That's easy to yeah. not diagnosing a tongue tie. It's super yeah. easy. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. To, I don't know how to do it. I go, I don't know what's wrong. Maybe you need to go to anything. I don't know what's wrong. Maybe you need to go to an LC and see what that's yeah. all about. But again, there is a world that exists before you hit. Maybe it's a tongue tie. There's yeah. a whole bunch of stuff that could be construed as clinical before you get to a tongue tie. So for me, this that the whole breastfeeding thing is a... And a lot of times do we, we are want to reduce breastfeeding to clinical. I mean, this is not like, do we want to reduce it down to only doctors and special specialists can help somebody latch a baby on? Because and the, and the thing is, I mean, wouldn't they like particularly LCs, wouldn't it behoove them to have us deal with the little tiny things that we can fix and then they deal with the super hard things that need clinical, scientific, medical, you know, stuff happening. When fevers come, when tongue ties and all of this stuff. Isn't that where they are best served? And we will deal with, you know, fixing a wrist and, you know, pushing baby in more and getting a pillow under the elbow. Isn't that really better for us to deal with than them and then and, and take a load off them? I would, I would, I would think so. So there needs to be, so yeah, in my that mind, sounds like that your mom, if your mom was, you know, knowledgeable or had breastfed many babies, those were things that literally, if your mom could do it, then we could do it. We could help you with those things. We can get that pill under there. We can help you adjust. Or if your sister could do it, you know. And I, and, and I kind of think that almost everybody who has a baby needs some kind of help, Matt, because we're not meant to do this alone. No, breastfeeding is not meant to be something that you figure out and muddle through on your own. I mean, a lot of people do because they don't have a choice. And a lot of people do simply because it just kind of fell, they just fell into it and it was easy. But the vast majority of people need even a little tiny bit of support, little tiny bit of support. And so is lactation a clinical thing? Do we want it to become a clinical thing? As a part of birth work, as a part of doula work, where's the lot? Where are the lines drawn in whether you're giving clinical advice, clinical information in terms of breastfeeding? Because I don't. Yeah, that, that's a hard one. That, that's a hard. That's a hard one. And so, in in what I'm thinking, that at some point in the doula world, all of this is going to have to be defined. Yeah. And and I was just sitting here thinking, you know, does the issue come up with doctors and midwives where, you know, doulas are being perceived as giving clinical advice? Does it get, you know, does it get them up in arms because we're giving clinical, because we're giving them information that is counter to what they're saying? And That's is ego, it, right? yeah, and is it valid for them to be up in arms at us for giving balanced risk benefit information so that the client can make a good decision, 
but that is counter to what they're saying. I mean, is that fair to paint us with, you know, this brush of working clinically when in theory, what we're doing is just giving them information. And no, that's not, not to say, that's not to say that. Happens all, happens all the time. Yeah. And it's not fair at all, but they no. have all the power. They do have all the power. And if we want to, I think this is the other thing that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about is sort of we move forward in this in this profession, or as the rest of you move forward in this possession, um, is that you know you have to play nice. I mean, there has to be there has to be some give and take. We can't constantly go up against midwives and OBs, and this is probably every doula will be on their phone going, "You're a fucking idiot," but. There has to be, if we're all going to be in that same room, we all have to understand each other's roles, but we also have to, because this is their house, we all have to understand that they are, they're the ones making yeah. things up. They're the, I mean, ultimately, obviously the parents, the birthing parents are the boss, but we're not standing side by side with that OB and midwife. We're standing beside the client and we're offering support and that's it. Mm -hmm. and, and if we can't come to the table with them with some probably a little more give than we're going to take, I think we'll get shut out completely, especially now with COVID because we are being shut out completely and nobody wants to have a conversation with us. And is it, do they not want to have a conversation with us because there have been those doulas that have been out there giving clinical advice, not stepping over their scope practice lines and all of this stuff and have sort of fucked it for the rest of us going, okay, well, we don't really need you in the, in the hospital because look at what we've done for the past six months and everything's fine. Yeah. And I don't think, I've always said, if anything is going to change, if it comes to obstetrical care, it has to come from the parents. The parents have to be the one, the birthing people have to be the one that are going to have to demand better for their birth than us demanding. Because this is a, I don't care what you say. This is a consumer-driven situation. Yeah. And even though we have, you know, universal health care, it's still consumer-driven. So the we can we can write all the letters we want and we can do, you know, thump our chests and set bonfires and do all of this stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> not it's not coming, it's not change is not not going to come necessarily from us. Mm -hmm. big change like that we can be there to support and stand in line and say yes we'd like to have a seat at the table but i think it'll be parents that actually have to make that i think parents are going to be the ones to get us back into hospitals but that, and there you have it folks lots to think about and if you have the solution to all of these things send us an email and let us know <laughs> the the absolute answers to all of this stuff that's true yeah well something to think about as our industry moves forward and especially during these times when we're like persona non grata in uh, majority of hospitals and i mean if we had to prove ourselves before you're gonna we have to do it 10 times now yes it and, that and that requirement has turned up 
you know, even more. We have to be on our best fucking behavior. Yeah. Because they have proven to us that we, they've shown us to be uh, non-essential, even though we've had all these arguments about whether we're essential or non-essential. They simply said, well, you're not coming here. Yeah. Not coming in here. And guess what? The babies are going to be born anyway. Well, it's like they don't care about people's like emotional experiences necessarily. Well, it's like our boss said, it doesn't matter what stage Toronto's in. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference what stage Toronto is in. Yeah. We, we will decide when, When and as long as I think things up, how quickly and and in what way completely up to them. They hold all the cards. Well, I was very surprised at Scarborough Hospital when I was actually allowed to go in yesterday with my uncle for his for his oncology appointment because I was told right from the beginning that I wouldn't, and he like fretted for a month, Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically in an an anxiety in the corner in the fetal position, shaking, Mm -hmm. um, anxiety. So, but when I got there, they had my name on the list, and I could go in. Um, so that was the IP list. Yep. So that was good. But my mom went in the very same day for a procedure and my brother was not allowed in. Oh, so it's just Kim. It's just me. It's just Kim who's allowed. <laughs> I, think it, I think it helped that I wheeled him in in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're his caregiver. Yeah. Well, and that's the difference, right? There's, yeah. there's the difference between caregiver and visitor. And if, yeah. and if they're allowing a support person, that's not yeah. a doula. Now, St. Joe's, they are, doulas are not considered a visitor. They are allowed to be in. Is that the St. Joe's in Hamilton? Yes. Yeah, that wasn't the St. Joe's in Toronto. Oh, it was not our St. Joe's. No. St. Joe's in Hamilton. So doulas are back in as a caregiver um, or a part of their, that person's health team at Burlington at uh, Hamilton St. Joe's and at Ottawa Hospital. Because that was confusing for me a little bit because it said something that you can have a part, you can have, it, it started out by saying you may have one support person, you know, and then it said doulas are allowed. One professional said, doula, yeah. So what they're trying to do is say, please just don't- You can't have like your mom or your sister come yes, in. Yes, yeah, that's right. Partner. Yeah. So- so they need, they still need to word it better because it doesn't seem clear because I know that would be some people like, well, I can be a doula. I can be, I'm her doula. And they'll say that. And that's where needing to have credentials or, you know, like actually being, yes. yeah, you know, which is a process, which is a whole process that we have to yeah. set up and then maintain and so on. Well, I mean, at the Ottawa hospital, it's just the Ottawa Valley doulas that are allowed in. And if you're not a part of that membership, you're not in. So if you're not a part of that organization, you could be a doula in Ottawa. Yes. But if you're not on that list, then and, you're not. And that, that to me is problematic because who are the Ottawa Valley doulas? Well, the Ottawa and- Valley doulas are the ones that actually put in the work to get doulas back in. But in order for that to happen, they had to prove that their doulas were well-trained their doulas were you know xyz they weren't just you know yeah, yeah which is fine their yeah. Training. which is fine except oh yeah and they had ipac training again who are they and who's locked out from membership in the ottawa valley doulas we don't know that and yeah what's 
they, all of that, their, their criteria and how did the hospital hook up with them and you know, whatever. So that's, that's just my issue with picking one group of people. Who are these people? Why, you know, sure. They might've done the work to get into the hospitals, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Lots of questions around that. Lots of questions completely, because I think that's what this whole year, this 2020 has just brought up. Lots of questions. And for some people, answers. Like yeah. Kim decided, that's it, I'm done. This this has really highlighted the uh, like the end of attending births for you and so on. And for a lot of us, it's- I'll do virtual support. I will do virtual support. You'll do virtual support. I'm all yeah. over virtual support. I'm all over mentoring. You need, yeah. you need to do the mentor? Give me a call. Yeah. I'm right there. But yeah, I can't go into hospitals anymore. I'm, I'm actually going to try and do a pre, a postnatal um, support with somebody who's due beginning of September. And I was, I was like, yeah, I can do this. I got my gloves. I got my mask. I'll do this. And then, of course, yesterday, yesterday, I'm like, oh, fuck, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to go into somebody else. That's what. That's what I'm. I'm, uh, I'm about that too. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if I want to go into people's houses and I haven't sent them the contract yet and I'm just not sure. I'm just not yeah. sure. I just want to do virtual support. Let me talk to you. I'll just talk to you. I don't want to touch anything. Yeah. I don't want to leave my house. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, if, if COVID has taught me anything, it's that I really like being here. I like <laughs> this. Listen, like we already knew that before COVID. So I knew that beforehand, but now it's just like, because I can go out occasionally and grocery shop um, and maybe go to Home Depot and I can order books online. Yeah, my world is good. You don't know what else you need. What, what else, else do there? I need? COVID gave you permission and COVID said, gave me hey, from permission to be semi-agoraphobic. Everybody is stuck in this, put in this at home. So I don't look like a weirdo now. Yeah, so you didn't look like that crazy old hermit lady who never was Oh, that's so true. No, I know exactly what you mean. I'm, I'm questioning whether I want, when I went back to the hospital just to grab a few things, being in that place did not give me a good feeling. And I just, when I looked into the window of our classroom. Yes. See how that looked? I felt almost like a, a door slammed shut. Yes. Yes. It just kind of felt like I'm not coming back here. And then there was an email just this morning yes. that said, this is not changing until the end of the year, at least. Yep. And I'm like this door, they just keep like closing the door a little bit more, closing the door a little bit more. And, and, and honestly, as long as they're good with me teaching this, this way, they're which, they're, which they that? clearly are. Yep. I'm good. I, I have no problem. And actually, I think I was saying, you know, I actually, I almost feel more connected with people, with the students. Like afterwards, last night, uh, someone was having some issues because she's due on like the 24th of August and this was only the second class. So she's not going to make it, but she's going to have a C-section. So we sat there and we talked, you know, about how we can make the situation better for her and how I can change the classes and where you know, which class she's in to make it better for her. But that makes me feel a little more connected with them than, well, in, a, than in a big ass room. Happened. 
that kind of stuff would happen in an in-person class. I can't say that I feel more connected with them, but I've only done two. Yeah. So that, that feeling of connection has not come up yet. And I also know that when you do a six week class, it's different from doing like a week. Oh yeah, for sure. Which is what I was, which is what I always did. Um, I almost felt like I connected more with the weekend class than with the six week class because it was so much more intense. Oh, really? But, I felt the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like things slid, you know, you give them a little bit of information, then a whole week passes and then you got to kind of build back up again for, you know? Yeah. I felt like you, you know, we started on Saturday mornings and we just hit it and we got to know each other really well for the whole weekend. Anyways, I haven't felt that feeling yet. Um, but then again, I mean, I, I'm not as agoraphobic as you are. I'm maybe You're a little more maybe outgoing a, than I am. <laughs> a little more, a little more. Yes. I was just crying this morning. Nobody's touched me in six months. Honey, I, nobody's I mean, touched more. me in seven years. <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of touching. Well, like I, my I kids am. occasionally. I am, but not only. Not only that. I'm saying like in, 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 well, my kids are all grown up and they're all got their own busy lives. So besides like. If I bump into them in the kitchen, I'm grabbing that shit and giving it a hug. I think that somebody gave me a hug. I got maybe a few hugs on Mother's Day back in May, but no, I'm feeling no. skin deprived. You need some oxytocin. This is why I got Ziggy. This is why I got this puppy. <laughs> There's a little warm, little warm creature that's alive snuggled against my neck. How's that working for you? It's, it's, it's helping a little. <laughs> it is helping a little. It really is. She occupies a lot of my time and my, my mental energy. And obviously I'm all like attached to her. Was yes, freaking, you are. The other day when she was not feeling well. You like her. You like her. I was gonna say, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her. I'm like, when does it, when does it stop? When she's just sleeping in the corner over there, and every few minutes or so, I gotta check: is she breathing? Is she breathing? Oh God! <laughs> her little furry, her furry. I think you have puppy partum psychosis. <laughs> a little, a little bit. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. I need more puppies and maybe a boyfriend. <laughs> maybe. I'll take the puppies. You can fuck, forget the boyfriend. <laughs> I don't have the I don't have the bandwidth to deal with that bullshit. Oh, all right, people. All right, so wash your hands. Don't be an asshole. Wear your mask. Wear a goddamn mask, unless you can't. Unless you can't. And then in which case, don't fucking wear a don't mask. Don't leave the house. And don't do what you can. We're here with you. Got. And just accept that, you know, little bit of scowl that will trigger maybe me should, when I see. Maybe you have a card. Like, should it be like people who have an exemption? I don't know. Did you I'm see people kidding. were like making up cards? Oh. Yeah, they yeah. made up cards That's that they safe. were exempt. I can't wear a mask. Yeah, and it looked really official. Um, and there was like a website and everything, but it's been taken down since. But um, yeah, it was just stupid people who were, you know, my human rights, you know. Well, those people I don't have any patience with, <laughs> as you know. 
I have a medical exemption, but what I was offered was simply a note from my doctor. So they called and left a message for me um, asking if I would like a note for a medical exemption. So apparently it's something I can carry around. I don't know if it's a card or what it is. Um, so that should I need to take my mask off, I can present it, but doesn't have any medical information about me. So there's no privacy law. Right. Yeah. Violated. You don't wear a mask for a little bit. Is it just a long period of time that you can't? Um, it depends on if I'm in a state of inflammation or not. If I'm in a state oh. of inflammation, I can't touch my face at all. Okay. But um, so even a short period of time. But it, honestly, usually if I'm in a state of inflammation, I'm not leaving my house anyway. But uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, other times, like when I went to get my hair done, like in and out of the store, as long as everything's good, I'm usually okay. But when I went to get my hair done, I needed lots of breaks, breaks. Uh, to take it off um, because it was just, it was a long period of time. And any amount of talking where if I talk or even breathing and it moves the mask a little bit and it's constantly kind of pushing or triggering my face and it, it starts to heat up and then the shock oh yeah see you're social you talk to your hairdresser <laughs> i don't she's a former client and she's a friend and nope. she became a doula nope i don't talk to anybody i go to the hairdressers <laughs> well that's why you I, need to pick a hairdresser who's a complete stranger so you don't have to say anything. that's right <laughs> good to know i don't hate people i just hate people i don't <laughs> I don't hate no. people, I just don't like them. Yeah. And I don't, so, <laughs> this is totally, we should probably end the, the thing, but I, so I picked my mom up. I, when I came out of the hospital with my uncle, my mom was sitting there. She had a cortisone injection in her hip um, or something like that to fix her hip. And she was sitting there on the, on the bench. She was going to call my brother to go, to come and pick her up. So, I decided, I, like, I'll take you. Like, I'm right here. Like, well, I'll just take you. Um, so then we're in the car, and she's like, so there was this man, and he blah, blah, blah. And she's telling me his entire life story. Like, you were in there for two fucking hours. How, plus, you had a procedure in the middle of all this. How the fuck do you find this stuff out? Like, that's my mom. I would be like, smile and nod back to my phone. I don't want to know you, person sitting six feet on the other side of me, and I don't want to know you, other person six feet on the other side of me. I am here in my own little world. Don't fucking talk to me. Don't even smile at me. I don't want to know you at all. How am I a doula? I don't really... I don't... This is what I was just thinking. <laughs> How do you work with people? I don't... It's weird. Of... Like, it's yeah. like I... When I get a client, I'm there. Like, I'm we're there and we're connecting and I'll be there with you and I'll support you. But then when it's over, that's it. I don't, that's you it. Friends with any of your I don't become friends with them. I do fall. There's a few that I, I am friends with Facebook, but that's from like many, many years ago. Like Stephanie's like, Oh yeah. My client asked me, you yeah, know, before they had so, sex and da, da, da. So I'm like, many, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> so many client, former clients I'm friends with. Yeah, nope. Nope. So funny. Yeah. I have I have two friends. You guys are it. <laughs> and oh, the pressure! The pressure! Yeah, seriously, you don't leave me. If, you, <laughs> if we get into fights, that's it. We're done. Yeah. And that's yet. Like I also have. I have a zero tolerancy for bullshit. So if you, I I have friends, but if you fuck up, fuck, I'm out. Like <laughs> that's it. 
I have, there's no second chances with me. I'm terrible. How did I, how have I managed to get to 50 and be so alone? Look at this face. Look at this face. Look. Okay. So if you ever need a sitter, I will take that dog. Because it's a dog. And she will keep you. And I will snuggle you and call you George. <laughs> and you will be mine. And you will be my squishy. And you will never go home to your Suzanne. Be my squishy. She's my squishy. I'm going to take your picture. <laughs> she loves you. She does. She does. She does. She does. Who feeds you? Who feeds you? That's Who why she loves you. you. That's why you love me. I know. I know how it works. I'm a mother. I know how it goes. <laughs> All right. Thank okay. you for listening to us. Bye -bye. Ziggy says bye-bye. Don't forget our book club. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. Don't forget our book club. <laughs> when what are we? Is September something? When are we? Uh, yeah, September. Choo -choo -choo. Hang on one second, everybody. It is September. The 17th. Okay. I got to go buy that book today, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I might do that today, too. Just don't know if I got, if I'm going to get paid next on Friday. So you don't know if you got book money. I got no book I, got, I think I have, I, well, when the pandemic hit, I took out a whole bunch of cash. Yes. Because, because I didn't know if, you know, the economy would, you know. <laughs> You're going to have to like squeeze. Yes. <laughs> so I took out a bunch of cash. I've deposited some of it back in, but I'm pretty sure I have, I have quite a bit more. Don't come to my house and rob it. It's not that, it's not really worth not that, that much, much. but um, I do have a bunch that I can, that I can use to buy a new book and Allie wants a new book. It's her 16th birthday. Plus I am ripping up carpet and sanding and redoing a floor all by myself. How impressive. All it's inside not. the house projects. Exactly. And, and what will kill me is having to go to Home Depot and ask a man for some advice mm -hmm. about what to do. And I really yeah. don't want to fucking do that either. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> My uncle goes, why don't you just get somebody to, you know, give do you it. an estimate? Oh. I'm like, okay, you get, I haven't worked in six months, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's no money. <laughs> I can barely pay the bills I've got. Money for renos. Yeah. No. And uh, we'll see how it goes. I'll take a before and after shot. <laughs> before, during, and after. Do it. All right. We love you. Okay. Stop listening to us. Stop Bye, listening to everybody. me. Don't stop listening to us. Bye. Yeah. Bye, guys. <laughs> you can just Bye. stop now.